baptismal services. I love them so much. And as uh, been mentioned already, Cheryl and I are heading away for a sabbatical. And this is a great final Sunday for us to be here before that, uh, to observe these baptisms. One of my favorite things at our church that we see happen here, and I know that uh, there's some of you here that are visitors, uh, grandparents, certainly parents and relatives of these who've been baptized. And so we rejoice with you. I mean, in this uh, profession of faith and this life uh, that's in each one of these young people. And we've had, I think, 18 or 19 people baptized in our three services. And you know, a lot of them young people, you just, you, we see so much potential there in their lives for what God can do. And we, we rejoice in that. Uh, this is uh, Cheryl and I. This is our final Sunday for 10 weeks here at Faith Bible Church. Uh, the elders have graciously given us uh, a sabbatical this summer after our, our service here for 25 years. And you can read in the bulletin. I won't go through the whole boring itinerary with you, but uh, you can read in the bulletin the places we're going to be. It's going to be a, a great time uh, for us to be away, kind of a lot of different aspects to it. And uh, we're very, very excited about it. So we're heading out tomorrow, and uh, we'll be praying for you all every day, and I, I hope you'll be praying for us as well. Uh, Jay Reisner is going to be uh, bringing a series this summer in the book of Titus. Uh, so if you want to start reading up on the book of Titus. And uh, he's going to be gone two of the weeks when we're over there on our Journeys of Paul trip. He's going to come join us there. So uh, those two weeks, we have a couple of great guest speakers, Dr. Ray Pritchard, uh, Dr. Abraham Curavella uh, will be here. So you all are, are going to be in really good hands. Uh, we get back this fall. My plan is to uh, teach through the book of Philippians. Um, on our journeys of Paul trip, we're going to go to Philippi. Uh, before that, Cheryl and I are going to be in Rome where Paul wrote Philippians. So I thought that'd be a great book to talk about when we get back. So uh, this fall, Lord willing, when we get back here, uh, we'll begin to study the book of Philippians together. Uh, this morning, they'll turn in your Bibles with me, John chapter or Mark chapter 5. Uh, we've been going through the book of Mark, Jay and I have, kind of team teaching on Wednesday nights and uh, doing different passages. And when we went through the book, going through the book of Mark on Wednesdays, Jay actually did the passage I'm going to speak on this morning, but I like this passage so much, I'm going to go back and do it myself. So uh, we're going to be in John or Mark, I keep saying John, Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 21 to 43 is our text. Let me read this for us, this passage of Scripture. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing him, he fell at his feet and entreated him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her, that she may get well and live. And he went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, If I just touch his garment, I shall get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitudes pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any more? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. 
And he allowed no one to follow with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, or literally it means little lamb, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were completely astonished. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. Well, so reads God's inspired and errant word. Many of you uh, here know that I like Vance Hafner. He was a man that did a lot of writing back in the 20s and 30s. story about an elderly lady who had been dis- disturbed by a lot of different troubles in life, uh, some real and some imaginary. And uh, finally, someone in her family tactfully said to her, they said, Grandma, we've done all we can for you. You'll just have to trust God for the rest. And a look of absolute despair came over her face, and she said, Oh dear, has it come to that? And Vance Havner then commented, and this is a great statement, it always comes to that, so why not just begin with that? And that's true for all of us in the struggles and the difficulties of life we all face. It always eventually comes to that, doesn't it? It always comes down to trusting the Lord. Life always comes down to that, so we might as well begin with that in our lives. And that's what Mark chapter 5 or this section is all about. It's about life coming down to ultimately believing in Jesus and trusting in Him. The, the key theme or thrust in our passage is faith or belief or trust in Jesus. If you look down in verse 34, he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. In verse 36, he tells Jairus, Only uh, believe. And so this passage is here for us to instruct us that true followers of Jesus respond to Him in faith, no matter what the circumstances may be. That's what this passage is about. True followers of Jesus respond to Him in faith, whatever the circumstances. Now, many of you know Mark's gospel was written primarily to a Roman audience. Mark is writing to to people in the city of Rome, and the fires of persecution are are beginning to to be stirred there in the city of Rome and the environs around it. And one thing that these people needed to know is that Jesus has power and authority. I mean, when you're undergoing difficulty and struggle and trial in life, one of the things you want to know is that Jesus has power that he has authority, that he's in control. And so Mark selects certain of these miracles and events from Jesus' life to show them the power and the authority of Jesus. And if you go back to the end of chapter 4, it shows there Jesus is Lord of the deep. Remember the the storm and Jesus calms it? In chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, Jesus is Lord of the demons. Cast the demons out of this man living down among the tombs. And in our passage this morning, we see that Jesus is Lord of disease and Lord of death. So notice there's an escalation. He's Lord of the deep. He's Lord of the demons. He's Lord of disease. Ultimately, He's Lord of death. He brings this little girl uh, back to life again. And of course, again, we, if we're going to trust in Jesus, we have to know about His power and His control as well. So it's calling on the followers of Jesus 
knowing who He is and seeing His power to trust Him in every circumstance. Now, one other thing here about this that's interesting. If you go on and we kept reading and read chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, Jesus goes back to His hometown of Nazareth, and the people there don't believe in Jesus. They're filled with unbelief. And Jesus' ministry there is hindered because of that. So you have a stark contrast in chapter 5 with Jairus and this woman who believe in Jesus and see Him work mightily on their behalf. And then He goes to His hometown of Nazareth in the next passage, and we see unbelief that hinders His work there. And so really, as we read this section, the question is, are you going to be like Jairus and this woman in chapter 5, or are you going to be like the people in Nazareth in chapter 6? Are we going to believe? Uh, in Jesus and trust in Him. Now, one other thing before we get in the passage. There's an interesting structure here in this section that Mark repeats a lot of times through his book. Six times in the, in the Gospel of Mark, we have this structure that's called a sandwich structure. Now, the big word for it is intercalation. But it's a sandwich structure where you have a story within a story. So you have a story that's taking place, the outer story are kind of like two pieces of bread, and the inner story is kind of like a, the, the turkey in, inside the bread. So it's a story within a story. So what we have here is the story of Jairus starts with his daughter, and he meets Jesus, and Jesus is going to come follow him. Then you have this story inside the story of this woman, and then we pick up the story of Jairus and his daughter again at the end. And one of the purposes of this, this uh, literary structure is for comparison and contrast. The, the stories are usually compared in some way, and also it heightens the drama in the story. So the outer story here is Jairus, the inner story is this woman, or, or Jairus' daughter. Now, what's interesting, if you look at these two stories, in both of the stories, they're about females that are in hopeless, helpless situations. Both of the stories relate to ceremonial impurity. We're going to see later the condition this woman has would have rendered her ceremonially uh, un unclean. And, of course, she's ceremonially unclean, and she comes and touches Jesus. Well, later on, the little girl is dead, and of course, a dead body in Judaism is unclean. Jesus comes and touches the dead body that's unclean. So there's a lot here about ritual impurity. Both are identified as daughters. This little girl is the daughter of Jairus. Jesus calls this woman his daughter in verse 34. And then one other factor that's interesting... The little girl is 12 years of age that Jesus brings back to life. The woman has been in her condition for 12 years. So what you have is one story here, one tapestry, but it's woven with two threads. So it's a story within a story that all points us to faith and to trust in Jesus. Now the story opens here with what I call the desperation. This man Jairus is a desperate man. His daughter is sick. She's at the point of death. Jesus gets off of a boat and a great multitude gathers. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus comes up and seeing him falls at his feet. Now we don't know if Jesus is still out on the seashore or if he's gone into the town by now. But when you go to Israel, one of the things I like to do in a little village called Bethsaida, if Jesus was in a village here, is show people how narrow the streets were in these villages. They're four, five, maybe six feet wide at the widest. Just they, they snake down through these little villages. So when Jesus is walking through these places, he's being mobbed like a, like a celebrity, if you will, and people are just pressing in upon him. 
And again, we don't know if they're still out by the seashore here in one of these towns, but there's a crowd uh, pressing in upon them. Now, Jairus here comes to Jesus, and Jairus is at the end of his rope. I mean, this guy's out of options. Every parent's worst nightmare has hit this guy's life, and that is his little daughter, 12 years old, is at the point of death. And his desperation here knows no bounds. So Jairus doesn't come to Jesus out of devotion. He comes out of desperation. And if you're desperate here in your life this morning because of something that's going on, recognize that God often uses desperation to bring us to Him. Most people find Jesus at the end of their rope. Isn't that true? I mean, you just think about it here this morning. I'm sure that's true of many of us. We, we often come to Christ in a crisis. And so if you're desperate this morning here or facing a crisis, come uh, to the Lord Jesus. If you're in the dark, uh, no matter how hopeless it may seem in your life, how desperate you may be, you need to come uh, to the Lord Jesus. In fact, uh, Kent Hughes in his commentary on Mark says this. <clears throat> he says, despair is commonly the prelude to grace. That's true. Despair is commonly the prelude to grace. Our weakness is the prelude to his strength uh, being demonstrated in our lives. Now, I love this in verse 24. Jesus responds immediately. He knows that time is of the essence. And he went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. So there they are, Jairus and Jesus set off toward his house. And again, there's a pressing crowd around them. Now, this must have been excruciating for poor Jairus. Here he is, and he's trying to get Jesus as quickly as he can to his house. I mean, the clock is ticking. And there, this large crowd is pressing him around him. And it's like a, a crawl, if you will, like an ambulance kind of stuck in heavy traffic. And so everything then grinds to a sudden halt in verse 25. And I call this the delay. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years uh, meets Jesus. Now, this is the inside story now. This is the story within the story. And we meet another person here who's just as desperate as Jairus is. But she's at the opposite end of the social ladder. Isn't it interesting? You'll have people whose lives are totally different. They're the opposite end of the social ladder, yet somehow by circumstances of life, their lives will intersect. And that's exactly what happens here. And by the way, it shows us Jesus cares for everybody. No one is beyond the love and the care of Jesus, no matter where they are on life's social ladder. Now, verses 25 to 28 are one long sentence. And this sentence describes the troubles of this woman. This is an anonymous woman. She's got a serious medical condition. She has some kind of chronic bleeding disorder, probably related to her monthly cycle. And it describes her problems here in, in a cascade of clauses. Notice how this is stated. The woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had endured much at the hands of physicians. She'd spent all that she had. She was not helped at all, but rather had gotten worse. And after hearing about Jesus, came up with the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. It's this long sentence with all these clauses in it. The main verb of the sentence is the word touch. She touched Jesus. That's the, the key and the focus here. But this woman had, had suffered a series of crushing disappointments in life. 
gone to physicians. She wasn't getting better. She's broke at this time. I mean, and her condition is not only just detrimental to her health, but she's been rendered ceremonially unclean by this. She's excluded from public worship. So she's an outcast from society. She's probably unmarried and childless, which are two further curses that would have, she would have had to endure. In fact, uh, Chuck Swindoll says it like this. To be ritually unclean meant that a person could not join in normal social activities. A woman in this condition could not enter the temple or a synagogue. She couldn't have physical contact with other people. She couldn't accept invitations to dine with others. She couldn't marry if her condition occurred early in life. And if married, the law forbade intercourse. Furthermore, her ongoing disease marked her as cursed by God in the eyes of the community. Socially, she might as well have been a leper. So this woman is sick, she's broke, she's cut off from society, and she's declining in health. I mean, this woman is at the bottom. And verse 27 says, she came to Jesus and she touched his cloak. Now think about this, she's unclean socially, and she, she comes and touches him. Probably when it says she touched his cloak, um, you know, we often hear the statement of this, this woman came and touched the hem of the garment. Back then they wore cloaks, men did her robes, and they had four tassels at each of the edges that hung down on the bottom. She probably just came and, and touched one of those tassels that's hanging there at the bottom of Jesus' garment. In verse 28, Mark reveals the inner dialogue for this woman. She thought, if I just touch his garment, I will get well. Now that tells us this woman had faith, right? Because she's saying, if I can just touch his cloak even, I'm going to get well. So she believed in him and trusted in him, certainly at least uh, for healing. Now, again, not everybody has the same degree of faith. And evidently, this woman's faith was very weak and timid. But she didn't let anything stand in her way. She pressed through this crowd to get to Jesus. But you'll notice, too, that she did all she could to remain anonymous. Uh, this woman wanted to escape attention. She just wanted to come up and touch the cloak and then basically get out of there. But notice in verse 29, it says, And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. So immediately she knows that something happened, and she's been healed. To me, this is a beautiful thought here. I just want to pause on this for a moment. This woman is ceremonially unclean. She is uh, defiled. And she comes and touches Jesus. And just by touching Him, it's as if He takes her defilement and immediately she is well. And to me, that's a picture of really what happens when a person who's a sinner comes and touches Jesus by faith. When we come to the Lord, we're defiled. Uh, we're sinful. We're unclean. And we come, and just by the touch of faith to Jesus, it's like all of our uncleanness and defilement is transferred to Him, and we receive in exchange for that wellness and wholeness. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. What a transaction. You just leave and gives you His righteousness. That's the picture here. Now, verse 30 Immediately, Jesus perceiving in himself that power had proceeded from him. So all these people are touching him, but all of a sudden, someone touches him by faith. And he realizes that someone with faith has touched him, and power has proceeded out from him. And he turns around and says, who touched my garments? Now, there's kind of a touch of humor here, 
because his disciples said to him, you see the multitudes pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? The idea is everybody's touching you, right? Who didn't touch you? This whole press of people that's taking place there. And so they're pressing up against him and Jesus wants to know who touched his garments. Now, one of the things in Mark's gospel, if you read through it, is Mark often relates stories about what happens in the life of Jesus when he's interrupted. Over and over and over again through Mark's gospel, Jesus is going somewhere or doing something, and someone comes up to him, and there's an interruption in his life. It's, it's the interruptions in the life of our Lord. And Jesus' ministry points to the amazing fact that glorious things can happen in the thick of the interruptions of life. Now, most of us normally hate to be interrupted. I mean, his story uh, in, in his book, uh, How to Talk So That People Will Listen, uh, Steve Brown tells the story of Rabbi Stephen Samuel Wise. Years ago in Brooklyn, he was going to speak at an, an anti-Nazi meeting in, in Brooklyn. And as a result of him accepting this, he got a lot of death threats. People sent him letters. They, they called him and told him if he showed up to this address and gave the address that he would be killed. When the day finally came, Rabbi Wise mounted the podium and he said this, I've been warned to stay away from this meeting under pain of being killed. If anyone is going to shoot me, go ahead and do it now. I hate being interrupted. (laughs) Now, that's a funny story, but it's true, right? I mean, few people like to be interrupted. We're driving down the road. We don't want to be interrupted with a bunch of road work. Uh, We're busy working, and we don't want to be interrupted by some bad Internet connection. We don't like unexpected guests or sudden storms that come in and, and disrupt our lives. Interruptions, we believe, are the things that get in the way of life. But let me encourage you in this coming week and the days ahead, the next time you face an interruption, you need to remember that it's people that matter most to God. And that God may be lurking in the shadows of some unplanned moments of life. When I get up in the morning, when I wake up, I always just pray and and commit the day to the Lord. There's always some things on my schedule that I know I'm going to do. But I know that there's a lot of things that I don't even know about are going to happen that are unplanned. And to commit those to the Lord as well. Because the interruptions of life, as we call them, are many times when the real ministry can take place. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending day by day. We look at these things as, you know, not part of life, but as Lewis says, these things are your real life. They're they're the life that God is sending to us day by day. Here's a great statement someone made. Interruptions are not the things that break up life so much as they are the things that make up life. The interruptions make our lives. It was true of Jesus. It's true of our lives as well. So look for opportunities that God will give you in the, opportunity, in, in the interruptions of life, to minister to people, to help those who are in need. Now, Jesus asked this woman, or he looks at this woman who'd done this, and she's fearing and afraid, and she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, the whole truth just means what she was thinking and what she was doing here, but Jesus singles her out not to embarrass her, 
But Jesus does this to elicit a confession from her, to strengthen her faith. What had she been thinking? If I can touch his garment, um, I'll be healed. She touched it and she's been healed. So Jesus is giving her an opportunity to give testimony of what Jesus has done in her life. So he's building and strengthening her faith. Now, I love verse 33. It says, And she fell down before him. In Mark chapter 5, in this chapter, all the people in this chapter find their problems resolved at the feet of Jesus. Did you, have you never noticed that? Back in chapter 5 and verse 6, this man who's possessed by demons, this demoniac, he's out living among the tombs. In verse 6, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and he bowed down before him. In chapter 5 and verse 22, Jairus, this synagogue official, comes up to Jesus and fell, on his, or fell at his feet. And down in verse 33, the woman fell down before him. All of the people in this chapter get their problems resolved at the feet of Jesus. Do you see a pattern here? Maybe that's what we should be doing in our lives as well when we face desperate situations is coming and falling down at the feet of Jesus. In fact, uh, it's been well said, you can only stand up to life if you fall down at the feet of Jesus. The only way you and I can really stand up to life and the struggles of life is every day to come and fall down at the feet of Jesus humbly and take our place there before Him. So look, whatever you're facing today, go to the feet of Jesus and ask Him for help. Fall down before Him in desperation and ask Jesus to help you. Verse 34 here, by the time this woman leaves, she's not only been physically healed, she's been spiritually healed. Jesus said to her, daughter. She knows Him personally. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Literally, it's made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. She touched Jesus by faith, and she was healed physically, but she's also healed spiritually. And I love this. Jesus always gives much more than we can imagine. She comes just to get better with her body, but Jesus not only heals her body, but He heals her soul. He takes her spiritual defilement as well and gives her life. He tells her to go in peace. J.H. Jowett was a great preacher. If you've ever read any of his sermons, the guy was a tremendous orator, one of the great preachers of his day. And he was preaching on this passage years ago. And um, he concluded with a call for the people in his church and the audience to touch Jesus. He kind of used this here as a picture of what we do when we come to Christ to be saved, that we reach out and, and, and we touch the Lord Jesus and lay hold of Him. And so he closed his sermon with this earnest appeal. He said this, touch Him, touch Him, reach out in your sin and touch Him, the sin bearer, and receive the forgiveness of sins. And then he had a burst of insight and he closed with these words, but suppose you say within your heart, I don't know how to touch Him. Well, then go to Him and tell Him you don't know how to touch Him and that will touch Him. Isn't that great? Look, if you just say, I don't even know how to touch Him, go and tell Him you don't know how to touch Him, and that will touch Him. That shows the willingness of our Lord. If someone has any inkling, any desire whatsoever to know Him and to touch Him, God will reach out and meet that person where they are. Look, if you have any question today about your salvation, you need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ who offered Himself as a sacrifice for sin, and you need to come, and like this woman, you need to touch Him by faith and believe in Him. Take Him uh, to be your Savior. 
Now, by this point, poor Jairus must be beside himself with anxiety and frustration, right? The story here within the story. This guy's dying on the inside. His little daughter is at death's door. Precious time is ticking away. And Jairus must be thinking in his mind, this poor woman's been sick for 12 years. Can't she wait 30 more minutes, right? I mean, time is of the essence for his little daughter. So after the delay here in verse 35 comes what I call the decision. Now notice here, seeing what Jesus had just done for this woman must have given Jairus great encouragement. Think about that. They're on their way to have his daughter be healed, and he's just seen this woman healed. So he's got to be encouraged now and even filled with more faith that Jesus could heal his daughter. So he, but he wants to get moving because the clock is ticking. So just when it looks like finally the interruption from this woman is over and they can get moving again, someone comes from Jairus' household and gives the dreaded news, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. So for Jairus here, his little girl now is dead. I mean, it's, it's game over now, right? It's end of story. And to try to put ourselves in Jairus' place here, where do you go from there in your life? Where do you go from there? He's gotten the news. Your little daughter's dead. Jairus' world has basically just come to an end. It's all stopped. But Jesus, verse 36, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. Both of these uh, words here the, the, for, for being afraid and for believing are in the present tense in the Greek. He's saying, stop fearing and keep believing. Or you could translate it like this, stop doing fear and keep doing faith. Jairus here has been faced with hopelessness. He's been faced with delay. And we're going to see in a moment when they get to the house, he's faced with ridicule. The people there are mocking Jesus, thinking he can heal this girl. With all these obstacles to overcome, now Jesus is asking him to, do, to, to believe something even greater, not just that he can heal his daughter, but now that he can resuscitate her and bring her uh, back to life. But Jairus has a decision to make. Will he surrender to fear or will he keep believing in Jesus? Jesus says to him, only believe. Jairus, keep on believing. And I know this has got to be a word for someone here this morning where fear is rising in your life because of something that's happening. Maybe it's in, in your marriage. Maybe you have a child that's away from the Lord or a grandchild. Now, maybe it's something in your own health or your work or your finances, whatever it is. But fear is rising and there's, there's increasing despair and hopelessness over that situation. Maybe it's facing delays as well. It looks like God isn't doing anything. Time just keeps going by. Look, we need to remember the old statement, I love it, that, that, that God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God is delaying doesn't mean He's denied. And you'll notice in our text this morning, even in delay, Christ was working. And we think God's not doing anything, but even in the delay, He's working. And Christ has something greater in mind. If Jesus would have gone immediately with Jairus, they would have gotten there in time, the little girl would have been healed, but Jesus has something greater in mind, a resuscitation of bringing her back to life. And many times in our lives, when we look at the delays, God is delaying and allowing time to go by because God wants to do something greater in our lives uh, through that time and through that delay. 
But whatever you're facing, whatever the delays may be, however hopeless it may look, Jesus tells every one of us this morning, only believe. Trust in me. Keep trusting and believing in me. And the story ends here with the declaration. Jairus has his his own fear to face and, and, and the delays and all this. And now the crowd's mocking. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go into the house of the official. People there are weeping and wailing. And he enters in and he says to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. Now, the people inside there, I'm sure that they were saying something like, Who is this guy? Uh, These poor people have suffered enough. We don't need someone coming in here promising false hope. This guy's coming in here. Is is he trying to make a joke? Is he just asleep? You know, she's not died. And it says in verse 40, And they began laughing at him, derision and mocking of Jesus. But I love, I love verse 40. They began laughing at him, but look at the next phrase. But putting them all out. Jesus kicked them out. He said, I'm getting these people out of here. And he took the father and the mother and his companions, you know, Peter, James, and John. He goes into the room. And I always love the miracles of Jesus. It's not a bunch of hoopla, a bunch of fanfare. He takes this little child by the hand. And again, just as the woman who was unclean had touched Jesus, now Jesus is touching a corpse which was considered unclean. He took the little child by the hand, and he simply said to her, Little lamb, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And look at the end of verse 42. And immediately they were completely astounded. Now you talk about an understatement. They were astounded. They they were flabbergasted at what they're seeing. This little girl stands up and begins to walk. She's totally healed. And to show that, Jesus says in verse 42 that something should be given her to eat. It's a complete restoration. And she needs strength here for her body. This chapter is a chapter that tells us when we face the struggles, the difficulties of life, whatever we may face, that those who are followers of Jesus were to respond to Him uh, in faith. There's a great story. You may want to look this up and read it on the Internet today. It's uh, from the life of, John, of Arthur John Gossip. Um, he was a preacher in Aberdeen, Scotland, and he preached uh, a sermon in 1927. Um, He was uh, the pastor of the Beech Grove Church, and when he was 54 years old in 1927, he was basically at the height of his ministry, the height of his his powers and abilities as a pastor. Um, Historians tell us he was a very humble man, a sincere man. He had a keen wit. He was deeply devoted to his family and friends. If you read stories about him, he was a little bit eccentric, but he was a greatly beloved pastor and friend. When Arthur John Gossip was 54 years of age, he preached a sermon, one particular sermon uh, that he's remembered for. It's widely regarded as one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And it was the first sermon that he delivered back at the church after the sudden death of his wife. He's 54 years of age. His wife died very suddenly. Um, when his wife first died, he, he, was, he said that he didn't know if he would survive. Um, he was a pastor, and he'd helped a lot of other people through all their crises in life, but now he faced his own moment of faith. And he struggled with what to do. How would he reconcile his faith in the Lord with his loss that he'd experienced? And what would he say to his grieving congregation? And they were grieving just as much as he was. I love this first message back after the death of his wife. He in. What then? And here were the opening words of his sermon. 
I do not understand this life of ours, but still less can I comprehend how people in trouble and loss and bereavement can fling away peevishly from the Christian faith. In God's name, fling to what? Have we not lost enough without losing that too? He says, look, if you fling away from your faith in time of bereavement, what are you going to fling to? It's kind of like uh, Jesus' followers said to Jesus, Lord, where can we go? You have words of eternal life. There's nowhere to go. And I love that statement. He says, have we not lost enough without losing that too? That's all we have at that time is faith, to cling to the Lord and to trust in Him. Gossip was right. If we turn from faith in time of trouble, what are we going to turn to? Haven't we lost enough without losing that too? Look, our story this morning calls upon each of us, whatever we face, to trust the Lord. And again, in a group this size, I'm sure there's all kinds of things going on in people's lives. Whatever the circumstances are, whatever you're facing, the best place for you to find yourself this morning is falling down on your face before the Lord Jesus. That's where these people got their problems resolved. They fell down at Jesus' feet and they trusted in Him. That's where our problems will be resolved in life. Coming to Him every day, falling down humbly at His feet, confessing that He's our Lord, and trusting and believing in Him. The message of this passage is very clear. Only believe. Keep on believing. Because Vance Havner says, it always comes to that, right? That's what it always comes down to. So why not start with that? Let's pray together. Father, we pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted in Jesus, who's never touched Him, that they might come by faith right now and touch, touch Jesus. That all their defilement and all their sin and all their uncleanness will be taken by Him. And He'll give them His righteousness. If you've never done that, right where you sit right now in your heart and mind, reach out and touch the Lord Jesus and take Him uh, to be your Savior. Father, I pray for myself and, and my brothers and sisters in Christ here as we leave here today and we face the, the certain interruptions of life that will come our way. Help us to be mindful that you can often be lurking in the shadows of those unplanned moments of life to use us and to minister through us to other people who are in need and need help. Father, again, I pray for those who came in here today, maybe desperate in some situation in their life, that we'd fall down at our feet, uh, at your feet. We'd cling to you and trust in you and hope. And Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us, how much you care about us. Oh, Father, be with us now as we leave here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me for the benediction, please, as we're dismissed with the Lord's blessing. Now, if you are a guest or a visitor this morning, we're so glad you came to uh, spend this Lord's Day with us this morning. If you go out these doors to your right, there's a welcome center across the lobby, and uh, there's some folks there that'd love to give you some more information about our church and uh, maybe answer any questions that you have. Let's bow our heads now for the benediction as we leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. All God's people said, Amen.